Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. So I'm Karen Rothstein Pineda and I am speaking. Hi, Karen. Hi again, Karen. Karen, uh, listeners, if you know Karen is our resident therapist, we have Karen on every season to talk about specific issues related to the topic, but also how it sort of intersects with all kinds of other issues and you know, mental health broadly. And so this season, because we're talking about mental health, this is like here in Super Bowl. <laughs> Thank <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> um, but specifically, we're hoping um, that specifically we're going to talk to Karen today about what therapy is, was it what it isn't, uh, what it can do, when, you know, what are the limits of therapy? How do you find a therapist? How do you assess if, it's a, if that person's a good fit for you? And when you need to seek additional help. A lot of people have heard the term therapy. It seems to be post-COVID a very popular thing to reference, talk about, um, suggest that other people go to. But what is the clinical definition of therapy? Like, what is the actual definition of therapy? Oh, God. See. All right, that, that's a hard question. It's easy, but it's hard to answer because I don't know if there's an actual definition unless I can like Google it and like look up what like a working definition of it is. But really how it looks like in the world is it's a relationship that you have with a professional who is there to provide support and um, use interventions to help you meet your goals. Like therapy looks very, can, it's not like therapy looks exactly the same for everybody. For some people, like some people think of it as like, oh yeah, you go and you sit on a couch and you talk for an hour. That is what some people do. And that works for them. But that doesn't work for everybody. Some people, for example, go and they, they may do, for example, like with some kids, you'll do play therapy where you sit and you play with toys. Adults do this. Or there's types of therapy where you go outside and you walk and you do walk and talk therapy. But it's really about looking at what your goals are for yourself and for your own well-being and working with somebody to achieve those goals. Now, Sometimes the goal is I want to not be depressed anymore. Sometimes the goal is I want to figure out what I want to do with my life. So it just really depends on you. But there's, a, in terms of an actual definition of therapy, 
I, off the top of my head, I can't think of one. It's more what it looks like. And it's more about who the person is and how are they going to support you with what you need. I think you did a great job of defining therapy broadly, which is a professional who is there to help you achieve your goals and to help you, you know, address health and wellness issues broadly, right? So if you think about a physical therapist, it's the same thing or an occupational therapist. Um, it does need not be psychosocial therapy so much as is just like generally they're a person who's a professional in that field and they know stuff that you don't know. And you're going to be like, I need help. Help me. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I will say Kosh and I joke that the value of a physical therapist isn't that they know things that you maybe don't know is that you go there and they make you do the things that you could do at home, but don't. <laughs> Kosha was having some, some leg issues uh, during uh, marathon training. And she's like, I have to go to physical therapy. And I just go there and he makes me do the stretches that I could do at home, but I don't do that at home. So I have to go to my physical therapist. Love to all the physical therapists out there because they have helped me immensely in my training. But um, I had somebody tell me that a physical therapist, you're actually paying for mental space. You are. What a brilliant, yeah. I think it's a brilliant point. Like, like there's a lot of, th I mean, there's some things that I can't do, like the stretches and the, you know, like, it, and the massaging and the blah, blah, blah. But um, the exercises, that's what you're paying for. And the, the other thing that Shail, she and I, laugh about is out of the millions of things but in terms of therapy is I'll say like oh, I was in therapy and she asked me this thing just because you're my therapist doesn't mean you have to ask me hard questions or whatever <laughs> like what do you think I'm paying you for right like I'm not paying you to ask me to reflect on on difficult topics I want you to blame that person for all the stuff I but that I think that is one of the main differences right is between your friends who are there to listen to you, who will will work through some like complex issues for you. But like my Jen will always take my side unless it's blatant, right? And she'll always be like, oh my God, yeah, that, that was wrong of that person to do. But my therapist will go, well, what part did you play in this? And I wanna be like, don't, how dare you? The part where I'm the wronged party. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the part where someone's doing something to me and I am, I played the part of the innocent bystander. My, what I joke around with, because my own therapist does this. And so I've stolen it from her is I'll be talking and she'll just look at me and she'll say, permission to be an annoying therapist. Oh, that's really good. And, and then she'll tell me something, ask me some really hard question like that. And I'll be like, Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I've started stealing that. I'll be like, permission to be an annoying therapist. That is funny. What if the person said no? Nope, no nope, permission not granted. <laughs> that, you know what? Then I don't. I actually be like, okay, nobody ever has, but I would be like, all right, that makes that's totally fine. You're you have a lot of self-determination. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about what how you're feeling about me asking you that question. Damn. You just turn that one around. <laughs> I will say the turn, the turnaround on that is almost worse than the first question. No, no, no. Be annoying. Be annoying. Yes. Be annoying. Yes. 
what is it that you're avoiding in not letting me engage you further in this question? Oh, that's, that's even worse. Here's what I'm going to say though. You can't do that with somebody until you have a good relationship with them. And that's the part I think that people don't understand. It's not like I'm going to ask somebody in the first session, can I be an annoying therapist right now? Mm -hmm. In that first session, I'm going to do a lot of listening, a lot of asking questions, a lot of um, just getting to know the person. I may leave them with like a little bit of a tidbit kind of a thing if I see they're ready for it. Because in that first session, the person's scared. You don't want to like knock them over the head with something scary that first session. Because A, they're not going to come back. And B, they don't know who I am. They need to trust me. And they need to know that I'm not just saying this because, you know, I'm trying to be a mean or I'm not trying to like be mean. I'm not trying to be hurtful. I don't want to be like the 50 other people in their life who are not being supportive. But I do want to leave them with a tidbit so that they get so that they come back. And it's this balance. And it's just like a lot of, you do a lot of reading of people, a lot of just reading the room in, in a session and a lot of, I don't know how to even explain it. It's a very intuitive process for me where there are times where I know I can say something and there are times when I'm like, you know what, save that for another day. So the annoying therapist thing and the turnaround, I could say that with some people, but other people like, oh, okay, let's talk about that. And I'll make a mental note. And then six months time, I may ask about it. When I see that the person can hear it, listen to it, take it in, and feel okay because I also I mean I'm not in the business to like make people feel like shit either you know I want people to come leaving a session feeling better feeling okay feeling at least a little bit better than when they came in sure sure so what is your process like talk us through uh what how you approach working with a client client or patient I use client okay yeah philosophically I use client because how I work. And this is, if you talk to 50 different therapists, you're going to get 50 different answers. Well, there's not, I'm not going to say that, but there's different schools of thought. You'll get 47 different answers. Yes. <laughs> right. 47, not 50, 47. Personally, I feel very strongly about using the word client because we're working together. This is collaborative. I do not have all the answers. I do not pretend to have all the answers. I don't know all the answers. Some days I'm barely getting it through my day by myself, right? I'm a human being who happened to go to school to be a counselor who happens to know something. The client is an expert in their life. And they are the ones that are coming in knowing who they are, knowing who their family is, knowing what they want to get out of it. And I see therapy as a collaborative process where we're working together to achieve what you want. We're, we're in this together. I'm in, we're in this journey. Now, I may say to somebody, look, as your therapist, like I have gotten directives in situations where it really does need to happen. Like if somebody is suicidal, I'm, that's without the window. I'll be like, you know what? You're suicidal. You have an active plan for wanting to hurt yourself. We are getting you to a hospital. 
this is no, this is not a, this is not a choice. This is you're in danger, but 98% of the time I try to be much more collaborative. That makes a lot of sense. And I think for our listeners, therapists are mandated reporters. Yes. I believe mandated reporters in the same way that, you know, if someone is suicidal, actively suicidal, they're authorized. And in fact, they have to, it's part of their code of conduct to get people help. Like you don't let someone walk out the door when they're like, all right, well, I'm going to kill myself in two hours. I mean, I know people don't say it that way. But... Well, no, well, we have had people say it like that. Oh, we have had people do that. It's like, nope, you're not, you're not killing yourself in two hours. Clearly suicidal ideation is a symptom of something grander, right? Yes. But in that moment, they think you're just going to go let them? Yeah. Or do you think that that's like a cry for help? I don't, honestly, I don't know. In the, and granted, this isn't like an everyday thing. This is like a once every five year kind of a thing. Of course. But I have had people say, yeah, I'm going to go kill myself now. And it's like, nope, no, you're not. And they thought, I, have, I once had a client fire me because I wouldn't let her kill herself. Like she was like, she, I sent her to the hospital. She hated me. Six months later, she came back and apologized and she resumed therapy with me. She was in a very, very dark place. We see it. When you look for a therapist, the therapist is also going to be evaluating is, is this person the way you should be evaluating? Is this, a thera- is this therapist a fit for me? We are also doing that to make sure that we can provide what the client needs. As much as I want to help everybody, we are 95% telehealth. We only have, I'm the only therapist that speaks Spanish in the practice, and I'm not taking new clients. Other therapists are, but I'm not. And there's some limited things that we have certain, like certain skills, right? If somebody comes in um, who is, for example, actively suicidal, as much as we want to help them, we can't. We really cannot provide the type of support. They need something different. Or if somebody comes into us saying, I'm, I, I, I get high every single day. I, get, I use cocaine every day and I need help with my addiction. We're not substance abuse counselors. We would actually cause harm. I think we would actually cause harm if we were to see somebody that was outside of our skill level. Anyway, we're assessing if we can work with them so that there's, there aren't situations where we have something like that where, you know, I'm suicidal. I'm going to go kill myself right now. Thankfully, when I had that happen, it was in person and I was able to get an ambulance right then and there. But um, other times you can't. And so we have to like, there's a lot of things that you have to ask when somebody calls for therapy and also things that you need to be asking as well that we can talk about. So, but anyway, what I'm trying to say is we're assessing the client as well as the client should be assessing us too. Well, and that's a great segue into one of these you know, questions that we wanted to explore, which is what should people look for when they are looking, you know, trying to find a therapist? What kinds of questions should they ask? You have to engage in a trusting experience with someone. And so obviously you're looking for a fit, but you also want to know that the person is looking for a fit from you and that they know what they're doing. Right. Right. Like what, what kind of questions should they be asking you about the fit as well? Right. So 
first thing first is when you go to therapy, you need to make sure that the person is qualified to do. Because like you're saying, Shalushi, is, yeah, a lot of people just call themselves therapists and they're not. In Illinois, there are three different groups of, well, four actually, that can call themselves therapists. The one, what I have, for example, I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor. My license is an LCPC, right? What that means is I can practice as a therapist independently. So I can, I'm perfectly qualified because I have the little, there's a reason for this. I have a little C after my name. I have the LCPC. That means I am, I've taken tests, I've been supervised. I can hang up my shingle in anywhere in Illinois and be a therapist. There's also under, under the, the umbrella of my degree is the LPC and then just master's level clinicians. With the LPC in Illinois, you're a therapist, but you have to have, what, what that means is you're getting hours of clinical experience to take a test to practice independently. And if you have an MA, what that means is you just got out of school and you're kind of working toward that. There's a reason for that because there are a lot of excellent therapists who have an MA, for example, or who have an LPC. They work, some of them work for me, right? They're excellent therapists. They can't practice independently because there are some people who, and it's illegal, but they, people do it anyway, who I have a master's degree in counseling. I'm going to go open up my private practice and it's illegal and it's unethical they need to be supervised by somebody that's either an LCPC, a psychologist, a social worker, but, but they need to be supervised before they can do that. So you need to, that's the big thing. You need to make sure that they're qualified. There's also social workers and then psychologists as well. And you can actually go on the Department of Professional Regulation website, do a licensed lookup and see what their credentials are and if they've ever been disciplined. That's important because you want the person to be qualified to do what they do. And if do. they've ever been disciplined? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that that was on there too. Yes. Yes. And what would that look like or say? It would say ever disciplined. I think right now, I mean, I don't know what it looked like if you've ever been disciplined. That mind just says ever disciplined, no. But um, it's just say, a yes or no. It'll okay. say yes or no. It won't say what they did. It won't, I don't know if it'll say what they did. I think it is public record, but I don't know too much. That, I don't know. But that's important to know this. So the, that's the big thing. Make sure that they're qualified and make sure that they can practice independently or that they're being supervised by somebody. So from a medical model, we can, you know, therapists work on this sort of like, there's master's students who are medical students. Then the LPCs are residents. They have finished their studies, but they're not ready to go out and just do things on their own yet. And then the LCPC are physicians who have taken their board exams and have cleared and you're good. You can start your own practice. You don't need to be supervised. Got it. All right. So that's, that's the first thing that our listeners should look for. Anyone should look, look for, which is, are they actually qualified to do what they say they could do for you? Yeah. The other thing is before anything, you want to make sure that you actually like this person. Mm. The therapeutic relationship is so much a big part of any kind of healing. 
You could have the best therapist in the world. If they make you cringe, you're not going to want to go. You're not going to, because the thing is, you're going to be getting vulnerable with this person. You will probably cry in front of this person. You want to feel like this person gets you and that this person understands you and that this person supports you and that you feel safe with this person. Do they feel safe? Do they feel good? And if you don't feel comfortable, I don't care who they are. You can't work with them. How would you get, how would you figure that out? Most therapists would offer an intro session. That's all kind of conversation. What kind of things should people be asking or thinking about, you know, to sense that vibe? Like, are you on the same wavelength with this person? Are you going to like, are you, because ultimately you have to talk to people for a good amount of time, right? Do you want to even talk to this person? That's where I think it kind of gets tricky because for example, with myself, I hate everybody when I first meet them. I'm that way. <laughs> that is me. I have a very avoidant, I've decided I have a very avoidant attachment style. I hate everybody in the beginning. Everybody. And, I, and I'm very, I can be distrustful in the beginning of everybody. In terms of my own process, what I would do is I would just look for somebody and look for somebody that has things that I would want in a therapist. For example, I want somebody that would be culturally affirming. I would want somebody that knows a little bit about the, the queer community. I would want somebody that I prefer to see a woman. That's just my own bias around that. I would be first like asking like questions like, all right, what experience do you have working with people from different cultures, for example, and see how they answer that question. For, for me personally, if somebody strikes me as super uptight, I'm going to be like, uh, no, because I need somebody that I can just be myself with. Yeah. And if I feel like I can't be nonlinear, that makes sense. That's not a fit. They're probably a great therapist, but if somebody's too much of a linear thinker, they're not a match for me. I needed someone who was not only like tolerant of like my sarcasm, but could kind of give it back too. Exactly. Some, that, that, exactly. Somebody with a sense of humor. Like I might joke around with, a, with somebody and see how they react. At our practice, for example, people don't necessarily have an intro session with their therapist. It's like they talk to me or they talk to our intake person and we assign them. Now, granted, we know that that first couple of sessions is to determine match and to see if this is a fit. And clients always have the right to say, I don't like them. They talk to me and we switch them. You know, it's not a big deal. Often I think it'll happen in the first two, three sessions where you'll determine, is this a fit? Mm -hmm. You'll talk to them, but it's also talking to them for a few minutes too. You can get a sense of that and you can get a sense of who they are. And just see, but it's a very intuitive process. The other part too is, do they have the skills for what I want? Somebody could call me and be like, I love you. I want to work with you. I want you to help me with my cocaine addiction. Sorry, dude, I can't help you with that. You know, I'm just not a skill that I have. Well, it's going to, it's going to a urologist and asking them to check your shoulder. Perfect. And you're Perfect. like, and the urologist, like, I want your shoulder to feel better, but that's not what I do. 
Right. And not only that, if I help, if they help your shoulder, they might make it worse. Yeah. And so coming to me for a substance abuse problem, I might make it worse because I don't know the new stuff happening. I might do more harm than good there. So I'm going to help you find somebody that can help you. Or if somebody like there's certain things that I can and can't do. And so you ask, you know, how much experience do you have with this? Have you done this? There's also times where there are things where I may not know about something, but it's something that I can learn about. But I need to be really careful about that. For example, if somebody asked me if I knew anybody that worked with um, obsessive compulsive disorder. So I have maybe seen one or two clients with OCD. So I don't feel like I could be really good with that. However, if somebody really wanted to work with me and had OCD, I could be like, look, I don't know enough about it, but I have some skills around it. I've learned about it. I have books. I can get consultation and I can do it. So be honest with them. And how honest are they with you about their experience? The the black or white issue is this person is disqualified, like is not qualified, is unqualified to deal with addiction or something like that. The next one is inexperienced to deal with something like OCD. And then are they willing to, and then is the client willing to walk with them on that journey also and not expect all the answers? Right. Well, and the thing about it too, is we don't have all the answers. And that's the other part of it. It's yeah, like, that pisses me off sometimes. I know. I know. I wish we knew everything, but we don't. I, I, you know, I'll talk to my, I'll talk to my boss about that. <laughs> it's funny that Kosha says uh, it's that she's annoyed that her therapist doesn't have all the answers. I'm annoyed that my therapist won't let me go around and tell people because I do have all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to have all the answers, but my therapist is like, you can't really do that. And I yeah. was like, well, then I call her a spoil sport. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> Your therapist is like, yeah, but that you can't do that. And you're like, well, <laughs> yeah. Like, how is that working out for you? Like if, if, if I had the answer for you, wouldn't you want to know, like people should want to know this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, of course they do. I know. No, I wish I had all the answers, but the reality is I may know what might work for me. And this is the part that I think is important. What works for me may not work for you. What may work for everybody in the whole world may not work for you or me or whatever. And so that's why I see it as a collaborative process. Because I bring, I do bring some stuff to the, just because I don't have all the answers doesn't mean I don't have some knowledge, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. I'll bring my knowledge to the table. And like in terms of like OCD, I'll say, look, I got some books here. And I got some resources and I know what's worked for some people. Let's look at this. What do you think about it? Let's bring your experience. Cause you got to do some of the work too. Cause therapy is work. Unfortunately, it's not, I mean, yeah, it's, I love going to therapy. Like I love my therapist. However, you have to do some of the work. You know, you, it's a lot of introspection. It's a lot of trying things. It's a lot of 
doing things differently, the answer that worked for Susie over here may not work for you. Or what works for you may not work for Susie. Whatever. It's about working together to figure this out. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you were saying, like, you don't have all the answers. Well, my therapist often tells me, and I'm, you know, given what you've said, I imagine this to be a core tenant of your work, which is I'm not here to tell you what your life should look like or where, what your goals are. You need to do that. Right. So if I had the answers for you, that's not going to give you what you want, which is to solve this, whatever problem you're dealing with in a way that makes sense for your life. I didn't tell you what to do and you might not like that, or it might not make any sense, right? Even from a cultural perspective to just do this thing. No, I can't do that. Right. It's that just doesn't work in my culture. The client has to be the one to navigate all those situations that they're dealing with and to figure out what works for them and to lean on the therapist to help them sort through the, you know, sort through their billions of thoughts that they have about whatever, to offer suggestions about what to try and to give a safe space. I think this is like one of the most valuable things about therapy for anyone is a safe space to just have your feelings. Yeah. Have your feelings. Sometimes you just need a place to cry or to be mad or to be sad or to complain about X, Y, Z, because where in the else in the world do you get to do that than in a therapist with a therapist where you just get to sit and cry over anything you want and they're not going to tell you not to feel that way right so we've talked about what people should look for when they are trying to find a therapist you want someone who you can connect with that you feel comfortable with someone who um, ideally has the experience in the issues or the areas that you're trying to work on if not, that they're, that they're open about that and saying, hey, I don't know, it, this is not my area of focus, but I'm willing to learn and I can, I have resources to bring to the table. But most importantly, you want somebody who is qualified to be doing the kind of, to be providing the kind of services and engaging with you the way that they say that they can. Right. Right, like what you said, not, there can be some really fantastic master's level students out there or LPCs out there doing, giving great therapy and they're just, you know, they're just hitting, they're just totally on it, but they're not qualified to provide services independently of any supervision. So that's important as well. That's important too. And that's the other thing too, is I I feel like I have to make make a statement about ethics too, because there are a lot of bad characters out there. I don't know if, um, I don't know if you, you know, the worst cautionary tale. I don't know if any, any of you saw the, um, the Shrink Next Door. It's another podcast. And it was, a, it was also on Apple TV. Isn't it a show with like Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I saw it. I haven't watched it because I was like, oh, those are two funny guys. And then it's not funny, right? Isn't it a dramatic? So <laughs> it's not. But these kinds of things happen and you want to make sure that your therapist has good boundaries and it's going to be safe. This therapist completely took advantage of this, of Will Ferrell. Well, the guy, the, he was played by Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell's character, yeah. The, the Ferrell <laughs> that was taken advantage of, yeah. And he um, basically exploited him for like 20 years, was making this, was making, the therapist was making him like, gardening at his house, took over his house. Like the therapist 
decided that Will Ferrell had this beautiful house out in the Hamptons and took over his house, like totally bankrupt him, totally isolated him from family and friends. I mean, it was a total abusive manipulative relationship so this i'm just looking this up it says uh it's based on the real life story of psychiatric is oh, no of psychiatrist isaac herbkoff who in 2021 was determined to have violated quote minimum acceptable standards of care in this psychotherapeutic relationship wow so that shit happens that's a real story it's a total that's what i'm saying it's a totally real story it actually happened these things happen. I mean, I know of a therapist who had her clients drive her home after, after a session. I know a therapist who has clients walk the dog. Like, like as their dog, like employed them? As part of therapy. Oh, oh, so not like, hey, I'm a dog walker on the side and I need a job. Right. But like, this is part of our therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. Wow. Even, and the thing is though, even then as a therapist, if my client's a dog walker, I can't employ them. If I'm your therapist, I'm your therapist. And I see you for one to two hours a week. That's it. Once a week for an hour, twice, maybe twice a week for an hour for a short period of time. It starts at time. It ends on time. And that's it. There is no like outside relationship. You don't hang out outside of therapy. You don't, you have to be really careful about those boundaries. And so the therapist is trying to like violate those boundaries. It's actually really serious and it's really dangerous. I can imagine. I mean, what I'm thinking is, so we just talked about like, well, you want to find a therapist that you vibe with. You're on the same page, you like each other. And so Part of the challenge then is into the therapeutic relationship is that you might, you know, the therapist and the client might go, Hey, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we could be friends because we like each other. Right. I think a lot of time clients forget that therapy is not friendship and that, that your therapist, however well-meaning and deeply caring they might be about you also gets paid to listen to you and help you for whatever time you pay them for every week. It's their job. My therapist has said to me before, because at one point was working in Oak Park, said, if I saw you on the street, I would act like I never, I didn't, I don't know you. That's what you're supposed to do. Because the thing, think about it. If you're my client and I run into you at the pool and I'm like, hey, how's it going? What am I doing? Say you're with somebody and you're like, oh, how do you know, Karen? You know, you either have to, Tell them that you're in therapy, which you may or may not be ready to do, or lie. I don't want to put you in that situation. Now, what they don't tell you, and what I tell my clients is, if I'm at the pool or wherever, I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm not going to acknowledge you. You can't come talk to me. However, you are running into a situation where the person I'm with is going to ask, how do you know that person? And so you have to be very, very deliberate and very careful about these boundaries. And yeah, like I have a client who I run into, I run into her at the pool sometimes. We've introduced our kids to each other. She's a really cool person. I love her, right? But I also understand my limitations. She's not my friend. And if I was her friend, I couldn't be her therapist. 
I know like I wanted to cut the line. Like I wanted to just cut through all the like, hey, yeah, I'm from Orland Park and I am brown and I, you know, was from a small town in um, Illinois. I wanted to cut through that. So I went straight to Karen and I was like, can you just be my therapist? When I was looking for a therapist last year. And she's like, I cannot. And I'm like, but just, it'll just be easier for me. And she's like, no, we have this thing called ethics. I've already, like, we're friends. And so I told Shayla she, I was like, I told Karen as a joke, but still, I said, ethics, schmethics. And then Shayla she said, you have a master's in health policy and bioethics, Kosha, <laughs> which I do, <laughs> which I do. They're gonna with they're gonna make you say in that. They're like, did you just say ethics oh, methics? You don't <laughs> no masters for you. That like is an automatic, like, no. That's have you been disciplined? <laughs> yes. Yes. He <laughs> said ethics methics. <laughs> um, so there is a phenomenon where people like actually fall in love with their therapist, right? It's called transference. How common is something like that? And what do you do? And like, is that just automatic? Like I have, like, you cannot be my client anymore. Like, No, no, not at all. You process. And that's why boundaries are so important because so many therapists have taken advantage of clients falling in love with them and slept with their clients. And that's not okay ever ever, 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 ever. I don't care. I don't care who they are. I don't care who you are. Never, ever, ever. What we were taught in grad school was if, if somebody has ever even shown up in your waiting room, you can't sleep with them. I mean, it's very, like, very strict. And it's really important because you are vulnerable. The thing about it is transference is more like this phenomenon of feelings about your therapist it could be like motherly feelings fatherly feelings friendship relate like you know falling in love all of those things and it's a sign that therapy is working because you're developing feelings and your the idea around it is you work through that that's why the relationship is so important so that you can say to your therapist look I've got a crush on you I'm falling in love with you and they can be professional Enough to say, okay, thank you for telling me. Let's talk about it. You know, I'm flattered, whatever. Let's talk about it. You know, you want that to be a safe space to explore that. I will say I have, I did fire a client once who made a pass at me because he made one pass. I nipped it in the bud and, you know, it was like, nope, you can't do this again. It's not happening. You know, did it again like a couple of weeks later. And I'm like, nope, you're fired. I have to refer you out because it's totally inappropriate. I mean, that's different. That's also a personal safety issue. You know, therapists are not required to put their own safety above their clients, anything. Exactly. Exactly. Also my seven-year-old knows no means no. Yeah, so like, exactly. This, this is like, goes even, even more basic where it's like, I said, no. Yeah, exactly. I did fire a client for that. However, I would not fire a client for telling me. And I would want that because that means therapy is working. We talk about it. Maybe I remind him of an old girlfriend and we talk about that. But the thing about it, though, too, is with that transference, this is the client imagining who you are. The reality is my clients don't know me. Mm, Yeah. If a client falls in love with me, 
they don't know what I look like at 6 a.m., right? They don't know if I, you know, if I'm nice to my dogs or if I'm mean to my dogs. They don't, they only know, they might know that I have a dog, but that's about it. They don't know me. They're your feelings, but they're not real feelings toward an actual person. They're toward an imagined person. That is a real, they're, they're falling in love with like the idea of who they think you are. I had never thought about it that way. That's a really smart. And so I like where you're like, oh, so your brain and your body are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is being vulnerable and opening up and imagining your life outside of, you know, the, the mental health challenges that you might have and things like, and moving beyond that. Yeah. But that's the thing. That's why it's so important that you get somebody with good boundaries. There's a lot of unethical therapists out there who take advantage of that kind of stuff and you're causing harm. I mean, it's particularly heartbreaking when you think about the fact that people have a hard time admitting that they need help, that people don't come to therapy because they're like, I'm being oppressed, but like, I'm in a community where I feel oppressed. I have generational trauma. Nobody says that. Yeah. Well, now they might, but not really. But people come to therapy because they're like, I can't get along with my kids or, you know, I'm really struggling at work or I have a hard time getting out of bed. Right. So these people come to therapy because they have a problem that they have identified that they need help with as therapists, you know, your part, your role is to really help the person pull things apart and figure out what's going on. But if, if a therapist takes advantage of their client, They've basically done, done, like you said, done so much more harm that the person's actually like better off if they had never come to therapy in a way, but also that they may never trust another therapist again. That's so sad. That's why you have to be so careful. And if something feels, I'm going to say this, something feels strange, trust your gut and there's pushing and then there's pushing, right? I'm going to think of a really extreme example. Um, just to make a point, it's not something that's ever actually happened. If I say to a therapist, you know, I feel really uncomfortable that you brought up that I'm wearing a tank top right now. It makes me really uncomfortable. And if they say something like, okay, let's talk about that. I'm so sorry I made you uncomfortable. Can we talk about what happened and why, you know, and Maybe that's why you're getting, you know, treated badly because you're not dressing professionally Mm. as I wear my tank top right now versus a therapist who says, well, you shouldn't be wearing tank tops all the time. And that's bad. And I'm allowed to say whatever I want. You know, those are very extreme ways. Those are very extreme, but you need to be able to say that. And we have somebody respond kindly and respectfully as to why this issue is a problem. Yeah, uh, well, absolutely, right? So there's there's a way to bring up topics, issues, questions, concerns respectfully that doesn't sort of lay the burden on the other person to like explain themselves in a way that's like, or in a defensive way. Exactly. Tone really matters. The words you use matter. And I think that, you know, I want to, sort of transition a little bit to talk about what is it like in a therapeutic session? And obviously I know you can't talk about every, you know, session, but for you, for you, typically, what is it like? How, what is your overall process? How long do you see people? How do you know when people are sort of like ready to 
you know, move on from therapy, but also just to point out that what, you know, what we just talked about is that like, you, what you mentioned at the beginning is that being a therapist requires being able to read the room in a way that, you know, is body language, it's tone of voice, it's where they're looking, it's all kinds of things to know when to ask, when not to ask, and how to ask if you're going to ask at all. Yeah. Oh, God, that's hard. <laughs> Every session is so different. You know, I had had sessions where I've sat and we've talked about TV. Obviously, I don't do it all the time, but there are times when I'll sit and I'll talk about, you know, stranger things with a client because we're building rapport and we're getting to know each other. And then what I may do, because in my head, I'll be like, oh my God, I'm talking about stranger things. This is not therapy. But to the client, it is because they're getting comfortable, but I'll kind of bring in something therapeutic in there. So that might be a session. I might have a session where I talk for an hour with somebody about some heavy trauma. I may have a session where I'm talking about the relationship with their, with their mother or processing a recent event. Or I may be working with somebody on, all right, how are you going to tell your boyfriend that you want X, Y, Z and exploring why it's so hard to tell their boyfriend that they want to do X, Y, Z. So it just depends on what the client's goals are for that day. Often I'll just start to, and some of my clients hate it, but I do it on purpose is I'll be like, okay, so what do you got for me today? Or how are you today? And sometimes you get this look like, uh, like they look like the deer in headlights because they want me to say what they're going to talk about. It's like, no, this is your session. I work for you. And so I make them kind of tell me what they would like to do or what they're, what's going on. Because it's that, it's that whole like self-determination, but also for the person to own it. You know, I might talk, I mean, I'll talk stranger things for a couple of sessions, two, three or if it's, we've had a lot of really heavy ones to kind of bring it down a notch for a couple sessions, but I'm not going to do that forever. I do that with intent. You're trying, what, you're, what I'm trying to do is figure out each session and overall, what would the client like to get out of today? And I'm, what I'm thinking about is how can I leave, let, let them leave today feeling like they got something out of this, if this was helpful. So it's going to look different for everybody. In the beginning, I ask a lot of questions. Like I actually have this whole assessment that I go through trying to find out things like, first of all, what are, what's going on right now? Are they, I'm trying to figure out, are they depressed? Do they have trauma? Are they anxious? Do they have ADHD? Are, are there medications that may be affecting what's going on? Are they like, they're drinking so much that they're depressed? Because, you know, if you drink a lot, you're going to get depressed. I'm trying to figure out family history. The big question I think about is what made you think about going to therapy now versus six months ago? Because often people have been dealing with things for a long time, but what made you go now? Why now? That's what I'm doing like in the first few sessions. And at the same time, I want them to feel comfortable. So I'm doing it. I'm also letting the clients set the agenda a bit because sometimes they want to come in for the first session and just cry for an hour. And I'm like, okay, that's what we do. 
And so then after that initial time, what you're doing is you also set some treatment goals. What do you want to get out of this? Like, I, I'm sure the client's going to be listening to this and be like, you didn't ask me this. So <laughs> <laughs> if I say it like that, what I'll do is I'll ask, all right, so how are we going to know when we're done? Because as much as how great as you are, you know, my job is to work myself out of a job. And so how are we going to know when you've accomplished your goals? And I try to set really concrete goals. Like, I don't want to feel depressed anymore. We're all going to feel depressed at some point in our lives. I don't care how healthy you are. Okay. So what does it look like? You're not depressed. Let's get really concrete. All right. You'll be getting out of bed every morning at 8 a.m. instead of 11 a.m. All right. That's going to be our goal or whatever it is. Or you'll, you won't scream at your kids. I don't want to scream at my kids anymore. Guess what? I'm a mom. If you could stop screaming, figure out how to stop screaming at your kids all the time. Let me know because I'm bad. It's once I scream, am I going, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to have a better way of dealing with my anger. I'm going, and when I'm angry, I'm going to go for a run instead of screaming at my kids, figuring out some concrete goals so that we know because we're human. We're all going to yell at our kids. We all sometimes feel depressed. But I want to know specifics. And when we get to that, I'm not going to kick them out. I'm going to be like, looks like you've achieved some of your goals. You are welcome to come as long as you want. I do want to know, though, what your goals are. Because we just can't come in here and talk about stranger things every, one, every Monday from 3 to 4. We have to be working on something. Or maybe then we reduce the treat. We, we, we say, okay, you're doing good. We'll meet every other week for a while to see how these goals are. You keep doing better. Why don't we start doing once a month? And then we kind of end that way. And so it's really, it's a process. Sometimes it takes several years to meet the goals. Sometimes they do it in six months. It just really, it's a very different process for every individual client. Do you feel sad when a client leaves? Oh God, yes. Oh my God, yes. Actually, like this week, I had one client who I saw her for 10, I can't speak too many details, but I saw her for 10 years. Sweet lady. But, you know, it, she's done, right? And it was so, I mean, I, I actually, like, I cried. I was part of her life for 10 years. She was part of my life for 10 years. We really, there was a connection. You know, you're a human. You work with somebody for so long. You care and you love them and you support them and to see them kind of finish to like graduate you know I always tell them you're welcome more than welcome to come back whenever you want and she was actually grateful to hear that she actually told me a text message later and said thank you I'm glad that you said that I'm like yeah I'm here I'm not planning on going anywhere people are allowing me into their lives and allowing me to be part of this journey with them although you know we've talked couple times during this, even this episode that you're not friends with your clients, but there's, that doesn't mean that you're not friendly with them. Doesn't mean that you don't have a connection. Doesn't mean that you're not even think about them fondly. Yeah. It's the same way that, you know, I'm my child's mother. I'm not his friend. You know, he can't come up to me and start joking around with me the way he jokes with another 14 year old boy. He's got to have a certain level of boundaries and some respect for his mom. And it's the same thing where 
I care very deeply. And often, you know, they, they see my life, you know, I see me. It's like, they can't like this particular person. She saw me go from working for somebody else. She saw me leave. She saw me go from like this little teeny tiny office to this big office. She saw me go into telehealth. Like we, like we were like, kind of like, we went through all that experience. Granted, she didn't know my particular process, but she saw it. So she saw me grow up as a clinician and I saw her grow up as a human. Well, she already was grown up. I saw her grow as a person. It was a, I mean, it's a relationship. It's just not a friendship relationship it's a professional and I think about you know how you brought up like your son you want your kid to grow up and become independent and leave the house and do and not need you in the same way as they did 10 years ago but that doesn't mean it's not bittersweet and sometimes more bitter than sweet I also think about you know Kosha and I always talk about this podcast as it's conversational but it's not a conversation. And I think that's an important part for people to remember when they go into therapy. It's conversational. It's not an interview. It's not formal. You can use whatever language that you use. You can speak in a, you know, if if your therapist is able to talk to you in a different language, then you can talk in that language and you can swear and you can show your emotions. You should in fact show your emotions, right? It's a one way, it's largely one way. Sometimes a therapist will self-disclose in a way that is therapeutic for you. For example, I'm very open with my clients that I have ADHD. I'm not trying to like, I'm not sharing it for myself. I'm sharing it with them because I want to normalize their experience. So if they, or I'll share with them that I'm a mom, like I'll have a mom say, oh my God, I'm a horrible mom because I did X, Y, Z. And I'll be like, you know what? I'm right there with you. I did it too. Or you know what I did? You know, I get it. It's fine. You know, because it makes you human to them. Do you see, do you see the difference? Oh yeah, absolutely. It well, like you said before, like it's intentional. It's not just because we're having cocktails and shooting the shit. It's intentional to make someone feel they're not alone, to make normalize the situation. It is for an intent. Yeah. And it's for the client, right? So I assume that for some clients, it doesn't make sense to talk about that because it's not going to help them in any way. I imagine every therapist has stuff that they will self-disclose and stuff that they won't. Some will and some won't. Some will and some won't. It's a a different, people have different schools of thought around self-disclosure. I'm of the school of if it helps the client. But again, you have to be very, very careful though. Because you do not want the client. And, and that's the thing you don't, you don't like the worst thing you want is for a client to start doing therapy on you. Well, and you also have to, you like it, that trust already has to be established. I like, cause you don't want to see somebody at the pool and be like ADHD Karen. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 no. That's not what I told you that for. Right. So like, well, but the thing is also, <laughs> If I put it out there, that's what happened. That's what could happen though. That's the risk I'm taking. Right. But you're taking a like very calculated risk. I made you laugh with the finger guns. <laughs> the idea that that's how you would like across the pool that you would finger gun someone and then call them ADHD parents. <laughs> you could call out their 
their diagnosis first. <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever see me at the pool, you have to do that. And I will just burst out laughing. Okay. <laughs> so that's, we can only do it because we have your expressed permission. On record saying you can finger gun me and actually <laughs> and yell out ADHD Karen. Okay. Oh my God. But okay. Sorry. Oof. All right. Bringing it back to reality. <laughs> so you've described like your process with different clients that you work with and what you're looking for, or not what you're looking for. Cause I don't think that you're like, okay, you're done. So never see you again, but also these, the observable markers of goals that clients can work toward to be like, you know, maybe I'm done here right now. Um, or maybe I have other stuff I want to talk about, but then that's a whole, like, it's another process. It's a reiterative process to be like, all right, now you want to work on career planning. It can keep going or it can, like you said, it can go on for years and years and years, or it could be very time specific based on what the client wants and whether they're looking for specific support or sort of big term, my whole life type support. I guess, you know, the next set of questions is really like, we've talked about what therapy is and your process and what we should look for, but what can therapy do and what can it not do? Yeah, that's a really broad question and it's hard. Let's start with like, what kinds of issues can be worked through in therapy? You can really bring up anything. I mean, you can go to a therapist and talk about obviously depression, anxiety, OCD, ADHD, autism. There's people that know. Now, granted, not everybody can help you with everything. But generally, for any subject under the sun, there's probably somebody out there that knows how to do it. Mainly, it's do you want to make these changes in your life? And because ultimately the person doing the work is you. So if I come into a therapist saying, I want to stop drinking, for example, there are therapists who are certified addiction counselors who can do that, who can help you with that. The issue is you got to do some of the work, meaning you got to show up. When their therapist says you want, you're gonna you gotta follow some recommendations, like say, all right, the therapist says you need to show up once a week, you show up once a week. The therapist says you probably should go to AA, you go to AA, right? And you gotta follow that program. They can help you, but you're gonna do the work. I think it might even be easier to think about or talk about what are the situations where a person should not be seeking therapy first, right? Like, so we talked about if someone's in an active substance abuse addiction, they need to, those, that person should deal with their substance abuse issues first with someone who specializes in that as opposed to coming to therapy first. The thing is, though, there are therapists who treat substance abuse. Oh, okay. Who can do a good job. There are, there is actually a credential called certified addiction counselor. There are people who actually can do that. It's just, I'm not qualified to do that. Got it. Got it. 
if someone's addicted to cocaine, you wouldn't say, when you said I wouldn't, you actually mean I wouldn't because I am not qualified to do that, but someone else is. Yes, somebody else is. And they can determine if that person needs to, maybe they do need to go to rehab for 30 days first. Or maybe they can do, there's something that they, a lot of people do called harm reduction, but that's something that somebody with that expertise can do. I'm, I have other experts, like the same way that person may not be able to work with somebody with chronic PTSD, chronic post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, that's, I can do that. Like, give me all the trauma clients, but the, but the people who are actively abusing substances I'm just not going to do a good job with them. Earlier, uh, you had, and I think intuitively, especially Shayla and I, because we talked to you, um, we know what this means, but you use the term culture affirming or confirming. Affirming. Confirming? Affirming. Uh, Affirming. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, like confirming. Yes, you have a culture. No, that's not what you're (laughs) saying. Culture (laughs) affirming. And LGBTQ, you know, like trained and affirming. Can you talk about what that means? Yes. So it's kind of like there's the idea of cultural competency versus being culturally affirming. So culturally competent is, yes, I understand you have a culture and I will respect your culture. Culturally affirming means not only do I accept your culture, but I celebrate your culture. It's not like something that I'm doing because I have to. It's something where I think it's amazing that you have this culture. Let's work with your culture versus accepting it. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense uh, that from the perspective, like I love my therapist, but there have been times when I've had to explain parts of my culture to her. And she's been been fantastic about it, right? But- uh, that that she doesn't have the ability or the background to affirm my culture. She is willing to learn about it. And she's like, okay, yeah, let's take that into account, obviously. But there's no connection there. So all she can do is be sort of passive about it instead of actively weaving that into the therapeutic process. Right, right. One of the things that you said I think during our first episode with you in first season was like really understanding um, Latinx culture. Like people live at home forever. So if you have like a 35 year old who's like, yeah, I still live at home. One therapist who's not understanding and affirming of that culture might be like, you need to move your ass out. Right. Like that might be something that if it's not understood it to have a cultural basis then it becomes pathologized. Right. Well, and it's also too, like if you look at that example, in terms of affirming versus competent, a 35-year-old living at home, a culturally competent therapist might understand, hey, all right, you live at home, you're 35. Okay, I get it. That's that culture. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to accept it and deal with it. But here's the, here's the, where the nuance is. Somebody who's culturally affirming would be like, oh, okay, you live with your parents. What's that like for you? And then what you would happen is you have a deeper discussion about what it's like. You can be 35 living with your parents and it's culturally appropriate, but it may not, it may be toxic. Mm. 
So that a culturally affirming therapist can say, yeah, I know it must be really hard to think about this, but I'm wondering if you really should be living with your parents. It sounds kind of toxic. Can we talk about that? But you see, it's like these little teeny tiny nuances. It's being able to like, somebody I think was culturally affirming can actually like work with the culture a little bit better. Even if it's not, even, even if that's bucking the cultural norms, Yes, but, but you're almost on the inside saying like, understanding that this is a cultural norm, but for you individually, we still need to get you out of this. Yes. Yeah. It's complicated, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's complicated. And it, it also really depends upon, I imagine what the person's challenges or issues are that they're coming in to talk about. I mean, in family situations, that cultural piece might be very important and maybe less important when we're talking about dealing with depression or work challenges, which is like, you should be able to bring your whole self to work. At the same time, there are expectations about how people interact in the workplace. And if it's, if you bringing your whole self to work is a problem for your career trajectory, okay, how do we figure that out? Right. Yes. So, right. And then that's less about like, operating within the culture and more about like, what are you comfortable with and how, what do you want to do and how are you going to move forward? Do you need to leave you this particular field because X, Y, and Z, or it, again, like you were saying, it is very nuanced. It's very, very nuanced. And it's like, and I think nobody is, and this is something that I always tell everybody, nobody is 100% anything. So you're not going to have a therapist who's 100% culturally affirming because guess what? We all mess up. And that you can't be culturally, you can't understand every person's culture, one, because as we've learned um, in previous, you know, in conversations that we've had, even across the sort of broad Latinx world, right, the culture in Puerto Rico is very different than the culture in Mexico, is very different than the culture in Colombia, is very different even, in, and you know, we talked to a therapist who works in the city with low, um, low income and un, you know, uninsured populations, but almost all Latino men and women, Latinx men and women. And she was telling us about misunderstandings between certain, certain parts of the, right? Like this city talks, uses this slang and this city doesn't use that slang or they use the word in a completely different way. So there's no way to be a hundred percent, you know, culturally affirming, even if you're from the same culture generally. Right. Right. And it's not necessarily like being like 100% understanding of it, but it's being how willing are you to learn? And what I mean, it's not asking the client to teach you. It's, oh, I need to learn about X, Y, Z. Let me go read a book about it so that next time I meet with this person, I'm prepared. Oof. Talking about therapy is almost as exhausting as going to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Almost. Right. Almost. Because I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to hold. It is. There's a lot of nuance. Right. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot to hold. And there's a lot to be, even talking about therapy, there's a lot to be careful. Isn't the right word, but aware of, aware of, right. Where are you stepping? What do you, where are you putting your foot down? What are you talking about? Um, because misdefining or, uh, you know, leaving things undefined can actually 
like we're trying to reduce the confusion and it can actually add to confusion. So yeah, I know it, it's hard. It's hard. I know. Yeah. So I think the question I would like us to end on is if people are looking, thinking about going to therapy and they're like, how do I even start? Where would a person go to find therapists? Okay. Good question. There's lots of ways. One is if you have like a family or friend that you trust, where do they go? That's a lot of it is word of mouth. And that's one way to do it. There's also a few online directories. One that's used a lot is Psychology Today has one that's most widely used. But there's also a couple of smaller ones that I like. One that I really like is Therapy Den that has more of like a social justice kind of bent toward it. There's another one. There's also a couple of ones. Um, there's Therapy for Black Girls. And then there's also, I think it's called Latin, Latinx Therapist, I think. Um, but another one that I really like um, that's actually good if um, insurance is an issue or paying is called Open Path. Because Open Path lists therapists who, are, who, have, um, who take sliding scale. You pay like a hundred bucks, I think, to access this directory, but then you get a therapist who is will who agrees to charge you between thirty to sixty dollars for an individual session, and then forty to eighty for couples work. I think those are the numbers. Don't, don't get me don't quote me on that. But therapy. So, um, Open Path is really good for that. That's. That's fantastic. I think, you know, one of the things we know is a challenge is how do you pay for therapy? Exactly. It's not cheap. It's not. Like the thing is a lot of therapists will have like sliding fee slots available. And so that's usually um, a good, but also too, there are therapists who are just starting out who are for the time being charging 25 a session because they're just starting out as independent providers and they're trying to build up their clientele. Sometimes it's just jumping in. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want, I don't want to at all insinuate that if a therapist is low charging lower fees than other people, that they're not any good. I think it's, it's one thing to consider about, you know, what the fees are. Can you afford it? I mean, is some, is some kind of therapy better than no therapy? Maybe, maybe not. And to really base your assessment on all of the other things. Right. And, and sometimes the, what they charge can confirm what you have picked up somewhere else. Like they don't seem like they know what they're talking about and they only charge $25. Maybe this isn't the person for me. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they're good or bad. It just feels like you might be able to add that to the pile of things as you're thinking about who, yeah. Another resource too, though, is your doctor. Like doctor, like especially if you're of an HMO. Um, so a lot of times with HMOs, it's a little bit harder to find a therapist. Often what will happen is, often they, what they're doing is they're working through doctor networks. And so um, if you're part of an HMO, your doc, and your, or your doctor may know have referrals for people. They may, they use, sometimes they have people that they refer to. And that's another resource as well, is your doctor. So Open Path, Psychology Today, Therapy Den, your doctor, friends. Granted, though, what you don't want, and this is because this happens, 
you don't want to see the therapist that your best friend is seeing. Because what happens if, like, say the two of you were seeing the same therapist, right? What happens if you get mad at each other? It happens, but you want to minimize that kind of stuff. Well, they say that about, they say that about couples therapy, right? Like if you have a couples therapist, then neither one of you should be seeing that therapist as your individual therapist. Right. 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 I mean, it does happen and there are ways that you deal with it, but you want to minimize it. It's not the first choice. Well, this has been awesome. We love you. I love you guys too. I love both of you. Thank you for being on our team. I really do see you as part of our, like you're one of our part-timers, like I said, like you're on. I love that. I am so honored. I always like love talking to both of you. It's it's always a treat to be on this podcast. And thank you for having me on. Definitely our pleasure. And I would like to, uh, I'm going to work with Kosha to get you a t-shirt with finger guns that says ADHD Karen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I cannot let that pass by and if i see you at the pool and you hear this weird lady going again, you can be like oh yeah she's one of my clients who said ethics schmethics <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what my t-shirt is gonna say ethics schmethics i'm gonna buy you that t-shirt <laughs> Oh my God. Well, you have a wonderful day and have a fantastic summer. We will, to our listeners, we will be seeing, or we'll, we will be hearing uh, Karen come back to talk about her own personal journey with ADHD. Um, so we'll need to get you your t-shirt before then. Yes, okay, that's true. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so right. much. You. We'll see Bye. you later. Take Bye. care. Bye.